We wait for you, Lord, because we need you. We have your word and we can multiply words, but we need your word to live in us. We've come into this place where you already were and we ask you to act amongst us, Lord. If you haven't already done it in our hearts, Lord, turn turn this morning into an event of communion with you and you with us. We praise you for the things we've already heard. We praise you, Lord, for the courage to go to Rwanda. We praise you, Lord, for the the passion to uh, help the truly disadvantaged in Bulgaria. We praise you for the talents that have been on display in music and in other ways. We praise you for these things, Lord. And now we pray that you will fill us with the same kind of courage and passions and grow and develop and use the talents which you've placed in us. Because you said, Lord, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And we want to know the reality of that. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On the 22nd of January, you will remember, you don't need me to tell you, but I've told you anyway, we had this conference day. And during that conference day, we had some feedback from each of the groups that were here. And you may think that nothing's happening about it. Believe me, stuff is happening about it. Um, But one of the big, for instance, uh, the young people um, said that they wanted some mentoring. That has already begun. You don't see it, but it's been taken notice of. Other things that were being said on that day, you don't see it, but it's being taken notice of. The men had a fantastic group and they were just getting going. It's being taken notice of. And the hope is that when you go away and enjoy your whatever you do, or when we go away all 18-year-olds of us and above, um, that we can build on what you were doing in your group. It's been taken notice of. The Attitudes group and other people came up with attitudes that we need to develop if we're going to be the kind of compassionate, active community that God wants us to be in the place where we are. So this series about attitudes comes out of the 22nd. You understand? We're... The leaders are still thinking about it. I hope you still are. And that you still keep bringing your ideas and your passions forward. What has God given you? You don't have to answer me aloud. But I am asking you to answer the question in your own mind and spirit. How much has God given you? If you are a Christian, and I'm assuming that you all are, but you can never tell when you stand in front of a church like this, you never know that everybody is a Christian. So I'm assuming you're a Christian, but I'm challenging you to confirm it in your own heart. When you became a Christian, for whatever reason you were driven to Christ or brought to Christ or or cried out to Christ, the first thing he did for you was give you a new perspective on the world. He turned your world upside down because he forgave you. Whatever the sins are that you're ashamed of, he has utterly forgiven you. 
That's fantastic. Um, you keep forgetting it. I keep forgetting it. He has forgiven you. You are pardoned. The blood which Jesus poured out at Calvary still speaks for you. You are forgiven. You are welcomed into the heavenly household of God. That is yours. He gave you his Holy Spirit. We forget the Holy Spirit because we don't talk about him very much. The Holy Spirit is the third person of a, a, tri a triune God we don't understand. We can't understand Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We just know that he's awesome and greater than we can ever figure. And God the Father who gave his own Son so that you could have this amazing forgiveness, this reassurance that you could be reinvigorated so that you could become the human being that God intended you to be, gave you the Holy Spirit, third person. Third person, I don't even like using the phrase, Lord, because I, it turns you into three individuals, Lord, and you're not. He gave you the Holy Spirit to be with you and to be in you. You have been made a partaker of the divine nature. Paul tells us that God has revealed the mysteries of his eternal purpose to us and in us. We know that beyond this world, whatever this world brings to us and gives to us, how, however, however much we may suffer or, or whatever, at the end of it all, there is the presence of God to come into in a way we never dreamed possible. That one day a saviour who died for us and whom God raised from the dead is going to come and put his arm round us and say, well done, good and faithful service. Servant, welcome. Welcome. Isn't that awesome? What God has given us, the almighty God, when we cast our crowns before him and say we deserve no glory, this belongs to you, that he, as it were, if I can use this language, will step down from his throne and say, well done, good and faithful servant. What is it that you have that God didn't give you? You have education. Many of you have really good jobs. You, you have been really blessed in this world. But what if you had been born in Bulgaria? What accident of life is it that you're born here? What do you have that you have not been given? You haven't earned your education. You haven't earned your privileges. You haven't earned your national, uh, your national health service. It's an we could call it an accident of birth. What do we have that we did not receive? Whether it's spiritual or practical, whether it's the very orbit that we, we live in. We are in debt to God. And God is so amazingly gracious with us. And God said... In fact, Paul quoted Jesus as saying, it is more blessed to give than to receive. God must have a great deal of delight in what he gives us. He must be so happy to see us enjoying the blessings which he's poured out on us because it's more blessed to give than to receive. But I wonder where on earth Paul got that from. I don't remember Jesus saying it's more blessed to give than to receive. But in Luke chapter 6, I remember him saying this. Don't judge and you won't be judged. In other words, be careful what you give. Don't condemn and you won't be condemned. So again, be careful what you give. 
Forgive and you will be given. Forgive and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. It will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I love that picture. Uh, I don't... I would love to be in a marketplace and see how that's done. I did think of bringing a couple of jars in with, I don't know, Rice Krispies or something and, and sort of pouring it into one jar and then pouring it into another jar and in the other jar pressing it down and shaking it and then pouring some more in and pressing it down and shaking it and see how much more you could get in before it runs over. How much more you can get in the second jar than the first jar. This is what Jesus is saying. He says, give and it will be given to you. And it will be given in full measure, pressed down, running over. But it's the upside down world of the kingdom of God to say it's more blessed to give than to receive. Because most of the people, or a good many of of the institutions and, and businesses and people that we know, live the other way around. They think it's more blessed to get than to give. Unless, of course, it's Red Nose Day. And then they'll give, but they'll make certain that their cheque is seen on television. And according to 1 Corinthians 13, they've lost their blessing. It's upside down to say it's more blessed to give than to receive. But Jesus is the one who said it. Is there anyone in this world who would know better, or anyone in this universe in this existence, who would know better whether it is more blessed to give than to receive? One of the groups on the 22nd of January highlighted Philippians chapter 2. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love and if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then says Paul, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfishness or ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others." And on what strength does he, what basis does he say this? Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. But what did he give? I don't think we'll ever understand how one who is the very face of the Father on earth, one who knows the Father from the beginning, who is one with the Father. In the beginning was was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I don't think we'll ever understand how one who was in the beginning with God could ever become human. What does that mean to do? To live out in, 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 to live out, to live in human flesh, and then to humble themselves and be crucified on behalf of those who should be worshipping him. 
I don't understand that. But surely, no one has given more to us than God. And no one more than Christ can say it's more blessed to give than to receive. Even we're told that on the way to the cross, he endured the shame for the joy that was set before him. God has said, I have given you life. I have given you everything. I give you my son. The son says, I give you my life. I give you everything. I give you my death to redeem you. The Holy Spirit has says, I will come to you, wretched sinners. I will work through your repentance. I will live with you. I will be with you and in you. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, giving, 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 giving. Isn't that awesome? Because even God gets joy. He must get joy out of the fruit of this giving. Must do. Now, Peter, now these words aren't easy to understand, really, because there's a lot of jargon in it, okay? And I'm not going to try and unpack the jargon. I just suggest that if you're really concerned about it, you go away and meditate on it for the rest of the week. (laughs) But Peter says this, God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. We've been given all this by a God who is not a passive God, but an active God. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in Him, says one of the Psalms, and He will act. We're not here worshipping an idea, a theory, a philosophy of generosity. We're here worshipping the God who is and who acts. Who has given and wants to bless our giving. Now I expect some of you expected me just to talk about money and I haven't mentioned it. But in a moment, we are going to meet around a communion table. And I just ask you, I know that everything on that table is a symbol. We have a symbol, bread, a symbol of the body of Christ, broken for us. We have a cup of grape juice, if we're lucky, and not just Ribena. But okay, a cup of Ribena, but it's a symbol to us of blood poured out, life 
given away and laid down. When we eat from this table, we can say that Christ is laid down for us on this table. That's what the symbols say. Christ is laid on this table. We feed on him by faith in our hearts so that the divine nature stirred through the Holy Spirit should be evident in our works and actions and attitudes. So that as God is generous, his generosity begins to be seen and felt through us. So what do we put on this table when we come to this table? His sacrifice, what do we give to be partakers of this sacrifice? Do you lay yourself on this table? Because that's what you did when you were baptised. You said, Christ has so identified with me by dying that I go down into this water and now identify with his death and I'm going to die by the grace of God to the things of the past and I'm going to rise with him in a new kind of life which is, which is powered by his spirit and feeds on his word and expresses his likeness. That's what you said when you were baptised. So you have laid your life on this table and said, Christ identified with me, I now identify with him. So, is your wallet on the table? Are your hands on the table? Is your time on the table? Is your listening and compassion on the table? Have we given it to Christ so that it now belongs to him? So now he can use it and make it through our obedience, acts of generosity from willing hearts. Did you know that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof? The people and all who dwell therein. As we said at the beginning in the psalm, we are the sheep of his pasture. And we have been ransomed with the blood, and we have been bought for Christ. And we have been willing in that transaction. We have said, this is where we want to be, followers of Christ. So, generosity is more than about money. But what was it Teddy? Teddy said, don't rely upon your privilege. What was that he said? Don't rely... Pardon? Don't count on your privileges. Make your privileges count. If you don't listen to me, listen to Teddy, because he's doing it. Don't count on your privileges. Make your privileges count. And many of our privileges are in our back pocket. And many of them are in our education. And many of them are in the knowledge that we have. 
When Jesus in Matthew 25 said, um, inasmuch as you've done it one to one of these, the least of my little ones, you've done it to me, he talks about giving to the poor. He talks about visiting those in prison, being there for people. It's quite an interesting list, actually. Matthew 25. The hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the sick. And he says, as he welcomes them into his paradise, you fed me, you gave me drink, you took me in, you clothed me, you visited me, you came. These are all the different aspects of generosity which Christ looks for and looks for in us. I'm going to finish by just reading from 1 Timothy 6.17. I'm a bit nervous about this because it includes the word command and I don't command. But this scripture actually, if you like, has the sanction of the Holy Spirit. All scripture is inspired by God. And Paul wrote this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Lord, teach me. (laughs) Lord, teach us.